I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that's blameless. O when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 101, which along with Psalm 109 are the psalms appointed for today, Wednesday, May the 19th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. I thank you for being with me today. We're continuing our study today in Ezekiel, Hebrews, and the Gospel according to Luke. And so yesterday, remember, we skipped forward some chapters. Well, today we're going back a few chapters. Um, And what we're going back to pick up is God's blessing that he promised to his people after the judgment was complete. He says, and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those to whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord to us. This land is given as a possession. It's go away from us. This belongs to us. It's the fulfillment of Moses' worst fears in Deuteronomy 8, right? Because what, he, what you've got is, is the people that have been given this land now see it as a birthright. They, they've failed to remember him. they failed to remember how they got this land. They, they think that they just own it and possess it because they're the chosen of the Lord. Not that they have any rights and obligations at all. They denied that part of it. And said, don't bother us with that stuff. This is our land. It's been given to us as a possession. And that's a period, end of sentence kind of an argument. And and God says, no, though I removed them from far off among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet I've been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they've gone. So they've denied him, but now, even in this place where they've gone and even during this leanness, that's been given to them when they just barely survived, God's people persevere in spite of all of that. And God's people have always persevered through persecution and and their own failures and God uh, punishing them and bringing judgment on the people. They continue to persevere. It's one of the greatest, I think, arguments for the existence of God is the perseverance of the nation of Israel and the perseverance of the church, frankly. The fact that it survived at all is a miracle. It, it truly is because there's no way or reason it should have survived all that it went through in the early days, all the persecution that came against the church. There's no reason that Jews should have survived given God's judgments against them and that the animosity too much of the world bears towards the Jews. And so it's a miracle only God could have done. We see this the um, fragility of the experiment all along, right? At one point, it's riding on Abraham and Sarah wandering in the desert. Everything hinges on those two people. Prior to that, it hinged on Noah and his family on that ark. And then it it depends on Joseph being sold into slavery. It depends on Jacob, of all people. You see that the the fear and the... the, um, the way that, that they're vulnerable all the time. You see these people who are slaves in, in Egypt, and you see them wandering through the wilderness, no military, none of that stuff, and then they have to go and take possession of the land. They have to fight armies while they're in the wilderness. It's constantly a vulnerable 
enterprise, and yet because of God, it perseveres. It's an amazing reality. And so the promise is, is that even though I've scattered them and I've done all this, I'll gather them and I'll assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered and I'll give you again the land of Israel. And when they come here, they'll remove from it all its detestable things and its abominations. And I'll give them one heart and a new spirit I'll put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. So the giving of the Holy Spirit is what he's speaking of here. And then once they do all those things, they'll be my people and I'll be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after the detestable things and the abominations, I'll bring their deeds on their own heads, declares the Lord God. He's not going to punish the entire nation again. He's going to punish only those who do these things. And then he sees... Ezekiel does, the cherubim lift up their wings, the wheels beside them, and the glory of the Lord of Israel was over them. And the glory went from the midst of the city and stood on a mountain that's on the east side of the city. So he is in the Spirit in Jerusalem. And then the Spirit lifted him up and brought him in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to the exiles. And then the vision that I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles the thing the Lord had shown me. He's bringing comfort and hope to this exile group of people in Chaldea. It's always the way it is with the Lord. He doesn't just announce judgment for his people. He always announces also restoration for his people. And so we have to always wait and listen for the voice of hope to come because the voice of judgment is not the final voice for God's people. And so then we see in this gospel lesson, remember he sent out the 72 to go out and proclaim the coming of the kingdom and to enter any town that welcomed them and to shake the dust off their sandals of any place that didn't welcome them. And so they come back now, those 72, they went out, they healed the sick and proclaimed the coming of the kingdom. And they come back with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus delights with them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the lasting promise of the gospel. The lasting promise of the resurrection is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and that you have eternal life. It, it, that is greater than any of the gifts we have. We can take delight in the gifts. We can, we can take delight in seeing evangelism work. We can take delight in seeing healings. We can take delight in all manner of things that he does. But nothing should supersede the rejoicing of salvation and eternal life. And so he, Jesus is, is excited with them, but he points them back to the ultimate reality of salvation that your name is written in the book of heaven and in the same hour he rejoiced in the holy spirit and said i thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children yes father for such was your gracious will so the scribes the pharisees the um the, the intellectual leadership of the people the rabbis didn't see this thing but these that he calls children have seen this and know the truth. That they've gone out and done these things. And, and, and that's one of the things that the leaders first recognized with James and, uh, not James, but John and Peter. And that is, these are uneducated men. They didn't go to the best schools. They're not 
and they're fishermen. They're not one of us. They're not of, of the intellectual class, and yet God's doing great things through them. He healed that man at the beautiful gate. And then they proclaimed this sermon, and people began to follow after them on the day of Pentecost. And, and it's, it's because it's not about them. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. But we've got to become like little children, which is what he says here is, is that, that you've shown this and revealed it to little children, those, those who are innocent, those who are trusting those who, who don't question everything in their minds, don't toss things around forever and ever and ever, don't analyze everything and then come to doubt those things. No, they're the ones who received it with joy. And the ones who went out in faith to do this proclamation, they're the ones who saw these incredible things when they went out and did what I told them to do. They were just obedient children. And that's the same basic premise that Paul follows with the Corinthians. He said, I didn't come with eloquence and all that kind of stuff. In fact, look around of you. How many of you are considered wise in the eyes of the world? How many of you all are philosophers or great debaters of the age? No, you're not those people. So God used the foolish things of the world to provoke and shame the wise things of the world. And so we can, we can choose, right? We can choose to be either wise in the ways of the world or we can choose to allow him to be the one who gives us wisdom and we can receive wisdom from him rather than from other sources. And so we have to trust him like little children and go out and be willing to do whatever he says, believing that whatever he calls us to do, he will accomplish through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So you've been chosen, if you believe these things, you've been chosen by Jesus himself to be one of his disciples. He saw something in you that the world didn't see, and he chose you to be his own so no matter what you're doing in life right now, no matter how humble your circumstances might be, the Son of God chose you, and he chose to reveal truth to you. He chose to, to reveal to you truth that the world can't reveal. It's a greater and more profound truth than anything else that you'll ever find in, in the world. The knowledge of the Creator and the knowledge of his Son it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you have any of that information at all. But no matter how you might feel about yourself today, know this, that the Son of God, Jesus himself, chose to reveal these truths to you in order that you might have life in his name. And, and Jesus is rejoicing when he turns to the disciples and says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Think about that. Even Solomon didn't see this, didn't know this. John the Baptist didn't know this. That's the reason he says that, that, that you're greater than him because you have a full testimony of Jesus because you know about the resurrection, you know about the ascension, you know things that, that, that are hidden from a great mass of humanity. You know things that nobody can know unless God chooses you to reveal it to you. It's a powerful, powerful thing to see how much you're loved by him, the fact that he has revealed himself to you.
And then in Hebrews, you know, he ended yesterday with this, this whole idea of Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And now he feels the need to go back and double back and say, do you all know who Melchizedek is? You know, um, you, you might like the whole Jewish thing, but, but you need to understand who Melchizedek is. It says he's the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. And he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. And he says, you know, you just translate the name. He's the king of righteousness, but he's also the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. <laughs> he is the king of peace. He said he's without father or mother or genealogy. We don't know anything about this Melchizedek at all. One of the most enigmatic characters in the entire Bible. He said he has neither beginning of days nor end of life, but he resembles the Son of God, so he continues as a priest forever. And then he goes on through this whole thing. He says, look how great this guy was. Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils of that war. He says, those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descendants of Abraham. But this man doesn't have his descent from them. And he received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And he says, you can only bless if you're superior. And so he says, this Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And then he goes through this entire thing. He said, you could even say that Levi himself paid tithes to Melchizedek. And, and it's the, the Jewish understanding of this is, is that, that he, he, Levi, was descendant of Abraham. And therefore, anything that Abraham did, he did on behalf of all the descendants who would come after him. And that's the reason that, that Cain is not only a murderer, he is a mass murderer. He would be considered to have murdered everyone who might have come from Abel. And so here it's the reverse of that principle. It's to say that Levi paid tithes to this Melchizedek, so he's recognizing one that's greater, and he did it through the tithes that were paid by his ancestor Abraham. And he said, here's the problem. There's no perfection through the Levitical priesthood. If there is, why would we continue to need this other priesthood this priesthood of Melchizedek and one like him he said when there's a change in the priesthood there's necessarily a change in the law as well for the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar we don't know anything about Melchizedek and yet this is where the writer of Hebrews lands to determine who Jesus is because Jesus didn't come from the Levitical line he didn't come from the Aaronic line he you know he comes from the tribe of Judah and none of those have ever been a priest before so Jesus who is our great high priest has to be part of some other priesthood and so he points to Melchizedek and says it's that priesthood the one we don't really know very much about but the one that Abraham recognized as a priest of the Most High God, the one who had promised him that he would have these descendants and they would be as countless as the sand on the shore or the stars in the sky. It's a powerful, powerful statement of who Jesus is for them to say that. They, they said, you know, look, you're, you're trying to hedge your bets by, by submitting yourself to the Levitical priesthood, and the reality is you're submitting to the wrong priesthood even. That there's this other priest, the one that Abraham recognized, not the other, not after that, but before that, there was a priest. And this is that one. He comes from that line. 
So you need to have the eyes of Abraham and recognize that priesthood as superior to the priesthood you've submitted yourselves to under the law that you've submitted yourselves to when you denied Jesus and went back to the sacrificial system. You're following the wrong priest. We need to always be aware that we are following one priest, that we're following one teacher, that we're following one Messiah. It's the only one who gives us any hope at all. And he's gathering us into a people for himself. He loves us that much. That he not only gave his son, he gave us through the power of the Holy Spirit the witness of the truth. And let's walk in that truth today.